Today's scripture reading is Luke 17, starting in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell, on the, at his, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Awesome. Let's pray together here. Jesus, we ask this morning that you'd convict us, that you would uh, heal us, Lord, that you'd work in our lives. Uh, Lord, we're, we're praying that you would move here today in, in a special way um, in, in our hearts and minds um, as we uh, come together. Lord, I want to pray for our moms here this morning that have been under uh, great distress, many of them at home with, with kiddos uh, during this season of covid Lord, we pray for them that you would uh, strengthen them, Lord, that you would al- allow them some rest during this uh, summer season. And Lord, we also just pray for the single moms that are here today. Lord, it's, it's difficult to be celebrated. It's difficult to be given a break uh, today. Um, but Lord, I pray that, that they would find rest in you, if, uh, if nothing else. But Lord, I pray that the church would come around them uh, and, and serve them and love them as well. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, thanks for coming out. Um, and just, just a couple things. We were just talking about uh, children's ministry. Uh, we today, again, uh, don't have third through fifth uh, because we lack some volunteers there. We wanted to give you some more information on how you can be a part of, of kids' ministry and, uh, and, and serve there. And so I uh, wanted to show you a little bit about uh, that cur- curriculum and, and how it's 
uh, kind of set up already so you don't have to come in and know everything there is to know. The, the curriculum is, is lined out for you, but would love for some folks to, to stand up, be counted, and, and to serve and to sacrifice uh, on Sunday morning. That would be uh, super helpful. Um, anyway, we're going to get into Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 1 there. Uh, this passage seems kind of disconnected. I think there's a connection there, and it's basically this. What characterizes a servant of God? What characterizes a servant of God? The word servant that, that it's going to use in this passage is also the word for slave. Uh, so let me just be clear, and that is that we're not talking about or glorifying uh, American chattel slavery, uh, which was a, a obviously a horrific um, stain on our nation. Um, but what, what we're talking about is indentured servitude. Uh, in Jesus' day, if someone had a debt, uh, they were either thrown in prison where they couldn't pay it off, and they would just remain in prison until someone paid their debt, or they would work it off uh, for the person that they owed money to, which is oftentimes what actually took place. And so it's going to talk about that in, ju in just uh, a little bit here. Uh, but many of us don't realize that we are servants of God. And so there's some words to us uh, that we need to hear that are not going to feel uh, super gracious, but are, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of you, you need to do this and you need to do that, and then we'll get to the end of the sermon and we'll re resolve it all in Jesus. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that that's coming. But uh, uh, let, let's get into the passage here and we'll, uh, we'll hear more about this here. Um, it says here, and he said to his disciples, so Jesus has been uh, talking to these religious uh, people uh, quite a bit. Uh, but now he's turning to just his disciples. So this is to people who claim to be disciples, who claim to be followers of Jesus. And by import, that is also uh, for us as well. He said to his disciples, he said, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And some of you are not signing up for children's because you feel like, I'm gonna get a millstone tied around my neck and thrown into the sea if I mislead these kids. So I just, I, I'm claiming that verse uh, for myself. But we, you don't need to worry about that. We already have the curriculum, as I said, lined out for you. What is Jesus referring to here? I think in part, he might be saying this within earshot of these Pharisees, these false teachers, and he's saying, woe to those people that are misleading my little ones, my disciples, because they have uh, a big responsibility, and they are being called on the carpet for this, and they're going to, eventually, they're going to have to answer for their false teaching. So in part, Jesus is saying that for them, but he's also saying it for us, as he's saying, you know, as people who claim to be my disciples, you need to be careful how you live. You need to watch how you live. You may be teaching something false about Jesus as you live your life. Many people come to church, don't pay any attention to the fact that they have called themselves uh, Christians, and then they go about their life, and they're lying, they're cheating, they're doing all, all, all of these things, and they misrepresent Jesus. They misrepresent outward church. And Jesus is saying that you're, you're teaching falsely through the way that you respond. People look at you and they say, you represent Jesus and therefore this is how you're acting and so you're misleading people away from Jesus. And you have other people who claim to be Christians 
They claim to be pastors. They claim to be people who are actually teaching the word of God. And they claim to have a new take on what the Bible says. So after thousands of years, uh, they come to this new point where God has just blessed them with some special information that uh, millions and millions of people have completely missed. And now God's standard of righteousness, now God's sexual ethics, uh, now we understand. Now I've figured this out. And many times these are false teachers. These, there are false teachers who have, uh, you know, gigs on TV. Uh, they're, they're, they're TV preachers. That not every TV preacher is, is a false teacher, but most of them are, so be careful with that. Uh, there, there are authors who claim uh, to be Christians, who are writing books, and they claim to be Christians, and, and people think, well, I, I, they're a Christian, and so they have a new take, and so I'll, I'll go after that. Jesus is saying, be careful that you're not misled by them. Be careful that you're not listening to what they have to say. There's a rash of these books that have been written over the last few years of people claiming to have lost their faith. Oftentimes they write a book just before they lose their faith, which is uh, very much unorthodox, meaning it's not in line with the Bible. So when you read something and it sounds pretty good to you, you ought to be careful because oftentimes what sounds good to us is actually false teaching. And that's happened innumerable times. I could name names. That sounds nasty right now. I'm not going to do that. But if you come up to me afterwards, I'll give you a list of names privately of people you should not read uh, and, uh, and, and learn from. You should be in the Word of God. Jesus says, be careful of that. What characterizes servants of God are people who are not misleading others in the wrong, uh, in, in, into wrong, wrong teaching. Our culture, on the other hand, oftentimes says there is no truth. It's only your truth. Speak your truth, they say. Uh, do whatever you think sounds right to you. And Jesus is saying, there are false teachers and then there are true teachers. Our culture doesn't tell you that. So be careful what you read. You have a responsibility toward one another. Uh, enticement to sin. The temptation to sin comes from even within the context of the local church. And so we have to be careful with that. Secondly, Jesus says on confronting and forgiving. Look at this. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again, or I'm sorry, if he sins against you seven times in the day. I just realized that as Heather was reading that, like it's in, in one day. And even if he sins against you seven times in one day uh, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him, which oftentimes I feel like that's my day with my wife. I, me uh, needing to repent to her, of course. So I should be careful with what I'm saying here. So what's this saying? It's saying pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to your life. In 1 Timothy 4, 16, it says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine. Watch, watch how you live your life. Watch how your doctrine affects your life. Make sure you're on track with both of those. He says, persist in this, for by doing so, you save both yourself and your hearers. Pay attention to yourself. So you, there's some amount of self-evaluation. Oftentimes, some, sometimes we try to kill self-evaluation. Where there's so much shame because of things that we've done, ways that we've lived. Or maybe we just don't live with, with enough time to be able to even process. How am I living? What am I living like? 
Am, am, am I paying attention to things? There's so many ways to distract yourself through social media and, and uh, all Netflix and all, all of that stuff, which is all very enticing to do that. But we have very little time to sit and process. And Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Do you pay attention to yourself? Do you pay attention to the way that you live? Or are you just deadening the shame, deadening the sin, deadening, or, or, or maybe you just don't evaluate self. Maybe you don't have any time for that. Jesus says you should make time for that. That's part of being quiet before the Lord, is just having time to be able to think. Um, then he says this, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Why does Jesus say that? He's talking about like what characterizes servants of God. Servants of God both confront and forgive. In the context of the local church, uh, sometimes we confront really poorly. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness that comes after we've confronted. So there's, there's churches that tend to be really good at pointing out sin and really bad at forgiving uh, for that sin. And it's, it's, it's devastating. Many people, I mean, most of the time, my, I think I told you guys about the story a while ago, but my wife and I stopped by this uh, hillbilly uh, place one night and uh, we were ushered back to this tiny tent with a bunch of people. It was like a COVID Petri dish. And uh, so we're sitting there hanging out with some people and, um, and we're, we're, we're sitting there talking and there's really loud karaoke going on behind us and it's very, a very raucous environment that I had taken my wife into, which was a, a little weird, but we, we just thought, you know, let's stop by this place. We've never been in here before. And uh, so there was somebody there who just began to tell me, they said, you know, what do you do for a, a living? After I had asked question after question after question, what do you do for a living? And that, this is the point that a pastor always is like, I wish I had a side gig that I said that I did, like if I was a janitor or, or something like that, you know, just so I could be like, oh, I just do that, you know. But as soon as you say, I'm a pastor, that's when you get the response of a lifetime. Like, here's all of the ways that the church has hurt me. I went to this church and they didn't accept me. They didn't love me. They didn't care about me. I stopped going to church when I was eight because I heard the pastor say this. I heard him say that. And they have dealt with churches that have confronted poorly and they lacked grace. But then there's also churches that don't confront at all. Like there, there is no... There is no standard of righteousness within the context of that church. There's no... There's, People don't really consider how they're living their lives. I've been a part of churches that have just chosen not to deal with uh, something. They just kind of let it go. Like this guy left his wife. Um, you know, she's in shambles. And now he's still attending the church. And now she feels like she can't be here. Yet he's the one that sinned against her. And now he's sitting here, uh, you know, with his new wife um, and and no one wants to say anything. Like we, we can't muster the, uh, the wherewithal to be able to confront this guy and to say, this is wrong. You left your family. Like, uh, like she should be able to be here without having to be reminded of how you've sinned against her and just walked away. And there's no confrontation there. But then it says there's, there's the other side of that, which is like if you're going to confront in a biblical way, then you've also got to come back with, with, with forgiveness. If they repent, there's got to be forgiveness there, which is in, incredibly difficult. If they, if they say, I acknowledge the fact of my sin, 
Like that's an opportunity for the church to then say, man, we, we, we're with you. We want to be a part of this. Let's walk that forgiveness out. And that's what is missing many times is, is walking that forgiveness out. And so there's churches that confront too much and there's no grace. There's churches that confront too little um, and there again, there is no grace. And so that's an issue. But there's also people who don't want to be confronted. When we sign up to be a member at Outward Church, one of the things that we're signing up for is we're saying, I, as I'm sitting here in my right mind, acknowledge that someday I may get dragged away and enticed by sin or by a false teacher, and I want, I'm signing up to be corrected. I'm signing up for you to have input into my life. Oftentimes, people don't want to connect with the local church. They don't want to raise their hand and be counted and, and be known because if I'm known in this church, then they're going to know my junk, and then they're going to call me out on this stuff. So I'll just go to church once every so often, and I, I won't plug in, and I won't get connected, and no one will know me, and then that way I won't have to do that. So the reason why we have membership is to encourage one another all the more as the day approaches to bring people into the family of God where we are actually, in a sense, we are bettering each other through the fact that we're, we're encouraging one another towards Jesus through confrontation, which sounds confrontational, which, by the way, is confrontational. And some of us are non-confrontational, and we don't want to do that. Jesus says this is the way to do it. Now, what, what happens oftentimes in, in churches, again, is this. There is no confrontation. There is no, there, there's not biblical confrontation, and there's not biblical forgiveness, so things just spiral out of control. And that's where you get church splits. That's where you get rifts within the, the, the church. That's where you get all kinds of problems because people within the church refuse uh, to deal with stuff. Jesus says, you must forgive him. And it's basically saying this, you cannot hold grudges. You got, you, you got a problem with somebody at church here? It is, it is your responsibility to bring it to them. You're afraid to do so? Talk with a pastor privately or one of our counselors in our, our counseling ministry. Talk with one of them and just say, I've got this issue, but I, I just gotta tell you, if you've got an issue we're gonna, we're gonna go with you, say, let's go together and let's, let's handle this. This is what keeps us from having problems. If in the context of your marriage, if you never deal with things, if you never confront and you never forgive, basically what you're doing is you're burying landmines in the life of your marriage. And then one day, one landmine's gonna go off and it's gonna blow up all of the other landmines. And it's just gonna be this big mess. And the same thing happens in the church. If you have a grudge that you've held for some time, if you have a, 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 an unforgiving spirit towards somebody who said something to you or, or did something and you refuse to bring it to them, you're living in disobedience. You're not living as a servant of God. You're living as somebody who says, I am my own master. I, I'll, I'll decide what I, what I do and what I don't do. And Jesus is saying, in the context of the church, this is what a servant of God actually looks like. So then... He says in verse five, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Why did they say that? They said that because, man, that sounds pretty hard to have to forgive someone seven times a day if they repent. That seems pretty difficult. Let me give you a little side note on that 
whole idea of repeatedly forgiving someone, that doesn't mean that you don't have to put boundaries in. You do need to put boundaries in. If, if someone's sinning against you seven times a day, we might want to be like, okay, so uh, <laughs> you no longer have access to my bank account. Or, you, or, or we're, we're, there, there's going to be something that is that has changed there. But they're saying, man, if I gotta repent, if I gotta, or if I gotta forgive somebody who sinned against me seven times a day, I'm gonna need more faith. Increase our faith, Lord, because I don't think I can do this. And Jesus responds, and he says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is saying, like, it's, it, it's not the amount of faith it's the, it's, it's the kind of faith. It's not the amount of faith that, that, that's like, you, you just need more faith. Jesus is saying this, saying if you had the right kind of faith, I've said this before, uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great quote, which goes, think more of him to whom you look than of the look itself. And what does that say? It, 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 it's saying this. It's not like, I really, really need to have faith. If you're concentrating on faith, you're missing the point. You have to think more of him. You have to think more of God and what he's done for you and how he's uh, lived for you. It's our trust in him grows all the more as we actually look to him. And that allows us to grow in faith, to begin to trust him as a servant, to obey him as a servant and to say, like, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to my fellow church member to actually go to them and begin to work this issue out. I've been offended by them, and, or, or what have you, and so we need to work this out. Jesus says that what really needs to happen is you need the right kind of faith. Just, just the if you even had the tiniest amount, you could do amazing things. And so, that's what he says. So we have three things here. He says, don't cause other people to sin, uh, don't hold grudges, but deal with it right away. Your faith is going to grow as you're looking to him. Um, and then the third thing here is what happens as your faith grows? I'm sorry, the fourth thing. What happens as your, as your faith grows? And many people get prideful. They get arrogant. They, they get this spiritual pride because now, oh, I have this great faith. And so Jesus says this. He says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat, while I eat and drink and afterward you can eat and drink? Jesus is pointing something out. He's saying, if you have a servant, somebody who owes you money, who works for you, they, they owe you money, they, they, they work for you, are you gonna, are, they're gonna come in from the field and are you gonna say to them, hey, you know what, let me get you something to eat. Put your feet up. I mean, it might be a really kind thing to do to somebody who works for you, but Jesus is saying, typically in that type of scenario, this work is expected of them. They owe a debt. This work is expected of them. And so a, a, the master isn't gonna say to the servant, like, hey, put your feet up. Let me get you something to eat. Like, do you need a foot massage? You know, that, that kind of thing. That, that's awkward. Jesus says, no. What's actually gonna happen is that you're gonna say, hey, get me dinner. Uh, do whatever I need you to do. And then you can eat and drink. The application would look more like uh, employment here. It would, be, it, would, it would be really weird for the master to be, or I'm sorry, for the boss 
to, to be saying, hey, you know what, you've had a really, really hard day. Thank you so much for doing that. Now, why don't you take a little uh, a, a rest and I'll just do your work for the rest of the day. That typically wouldn't happen. So Jesus is pointing something out to us. And he says this, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No, you, this is what you get paid for. I pay you to do this for me. Does he thank the servant? No, it's just, it's expected servitude. It's, it's an expectation. We have an agreement. You do that. I pay off your debt. That's, that's the way that it goes, Jesus says. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, by who? By God. So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Jesus says, when you, when you operate in a way that, uh, that says, I am your master and you are my servant, that there's a, a master slave, again, we're not talking about chattel slavery, that, that can be really sensitive today, but I, when Jesus says, I'm the master, you are my servant, my slave, like when you do something that's exceptional, when you obey me, when you live as though I am your master and I'm not just a, you know, a coach or a consultant, as one commentator said. When, when you do that, you can't come and just act like, now I owe you something. You can't come in and act like somehow you have a claim on me. Somehow you, I owe you this? Like you deserve this? Jesus says, no, a servant of God is somebody who says, yeah, I did something good, but I've only done what was expected of me. I've only done what was required of me. Like, this is what it means to be a servant. I don't listen to false teachers. I, instead of holding a grudge, I go to that person. I deal with it. I've increased in faith because I'm continually looking to Jesus. Jesus says, don't think that somehow you have a claim on God. God owes you nothing. Rather, we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. Jesus is saying, don't be entitled. Culture is telling you, be entitled to the nth degree. Everybody owes you something. Everybody owes you something. Be entitled. Man, that, that's quite a stark contrast. Spiritual pride sets in. And we begin to think that somehow God owes me. Somehow God owes me and, and, and he must pay me back. So how do we get to a point where we say, you know, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. So then Jesus goes into another story here, which I think is gonna shed some light on this. How do you get to that point? Because everything that I've told you so far is all moralism. Do this, don't do that. Do, act in these ways and everything will go fine for you and you when, you, when you give in to moralism, which by the way is what comes from many, maybe most churches, there's lots of great churches in our city that don't teach moralism, but many churches that teach moralism. They give you something to do, do this right, 
God will like you. You won't get a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea, which is, you know, quite an offer, right? But that's not grace. How do you respond with grace? With Jesus as your master, treating him as I owe him, he owes me nothing. He's my master, not my consultant. He's my master, not just my coach. He's my master, not just my co-pilot. He's my master, not... How do you get to that place where it changes you? Luke then tells us a story. He says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So he's kind of in between two major cities. He's passing in between these two cities. So Galilee is going to be more of a Jewish town. Samaria is going to be a Samaritan town, obviously. So he's in between these two cities. And as he entered this little village, he was met by, by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Now, why is that important? Well, these, these 10 lepers are kind of outcasts of the city. There's rules. There's laws that basically say you can't come within maybe six feet of somebody else. So these are like the OG social distancing uh, guidelines here for lepers, right? So they, these lepers, they've got a social distancing law that's, that's going on, and they're outside of the city. They're in between these two towns. They're outcasts. Nobody likes them. They don't want them near them. Otherwise, they're going to get sick, or they, they believe that they're going to get sick. People don't believe it was actually uh, transmitted through just being near somebody, but nevertheless, that's what they believed. So here they are, they stood at a distance and they begin to lift up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They start yelling out for Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And here they are, here these people are, like they know that they are in a bad way, like they're gonna die. They're gonna die, like they have no hope, they have no hope of, of being cured at all. And they see Jesus, they begin to yell out for him, and they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And then it says this, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the to the priest. Now, why would Jesus say that? There's all kinds of laws that basically bar them from being in town. There's all kinds of laws in order for, to keep them away from people. But Jesus says, "I want you to go into town, and I want you to, uh, and I want to show yourself. I want you to show yourself to the priest." In those days, it was like OHA uh, here today, like they're the health inspectors. So he says, I want you to go to this health inspector. I want you to show yourself to him, even though that's the last thing that you would think that you're supposed to be doing. So Jesus shows us something. Jesus shows us that when somebody is in a place of need, when somebody is in a place where they have such an issue, they have such a sickness, they have such a problem, and they beg for mercy, Jesus says, Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. I'm going to ask you to do something that you don't think that you should have to do. I'm going to ask you to do something because I am the arbiter of truth. 
I am the one who determines what false teaching is and what false teaching is not. I'm the one who decides that. So Jesus says, I want obedience from you, from the people that I'm going to heal. I want obedience from you even when it doesn't make sense. I want you to obey me even when it doesn't make sense. I want you to obey me when it comes to tithing, even when it doesn't make sense. I want you to obey me when it comes to premarital sex. I want you to obey me when it comes to who you're in relationship with. I want you to obey me when it comes to being a part of the local church and actually attending. I want you to obey me in the things that don't make sense because I have to tell you that so much of what God requires is so antithetical to what our world says makes sense. Our world is constantly questioning what makes sense. It sounds asinine. It sounds racist at times. At least we'll be accused of that. It sounds bigoted at times. Again, at least we'll be accused of that. Jesus says, in this master-servant relationship, I want you to obey me even when it doesn't make sense. That's what we signed up for. And the only question is whether you're so desperate to be healed or not. Because what happens next is, and as they went, they were cleansed. They come to him with their sickness. And we likewise can come to Jesus with our sickness. And sometimes we don't recognize the depth of our sickness. We don't recognize how bad it actually is. For them, it's perfectly clear that they are wasting away. Their body is literally rotting from the outside in. Some of us can't see that. We're, our bodies are rotting from the inside out. Some of us are, are rotting in such a way that it, I'm not sure that I really see how that makes sense that I wouldn't love who I want to love. I don't really see how that makes sense. Jesus says in the master-servant relationship, it's responding with just saying, okay, if that's what I've got to do to be healed, I'm there. I'm taking the first step. Jesus says, the first step of obedience to him is to respond by being baptized. Baptism is the first step. It's the first level of obedience, to obey through being baptized. And then obedience flows out of that. Remember in the Great Commission, if you, if you even know what I'm talking about, Jesus says, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them. In fact, before that, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus holds very closely, like, if you have, in fact, given your life to Jesus Christ, 
that obedience that doesn't make sense immediately follows that, beginning with baptism. Beginning with baptism. Now, that's not to say that Jesus hasn't forgiven us prior to obedience. What it says is this, is is that if Jesus has, in fact, healed us, the word was already said, go show yourself to the priest. The word was already, the word of salvation was there. The question is whether I will respond to that, whether I will walk in that, whether I will take that step of faith and say, okay, I'm going to begin obedience, begin in obedience. It doesn't mean that it's perfection. It just means that Jesus is willingly healing me and I'm responding out of obedience. Again, do, do I act like God owes me something? Am I acting like God is my consultant? Or am I acting as though he is my master? That's what he's asking for. What characterizes a servant of God is somebody who has put themselves under, the, under this God and has said, I'm unworthy, I'm, I, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm only doing what is, what is my duty. I, my duty is to respond in obedience to him. To be sure, the invitation to become a Christian is not to just take on a new religion, but it is to walk in obedience to your creator. That's what God is calling you to. Too many of us have lost that idea of obedience to God. The church has lost it. And that's why Jesus says earlier in the passage, for those that are not walking in obedience to me, confront and forgive. And so where's, where's the relief here? It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Only one guy. And he fell on his feet, face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. There's one guy. It seems like Luke, the author, is telling us there was... Ten guys, nine of them should have turned back, only one of them did, and that guy was a Samaritan. He turned back to a Jew, Jesus, and he falls on his face. There's one guy, he, he begins taking steps of obedience, and he immediately realizes what has actually taken place. He begins taking steps of obedience, he realizes Oh my goodness, I am healed. Oh my goodness, like something's happened to me, like my whole life has been changed. And I don't know if that guy, he just happened to have the worst case of leprosy there was. Maybe he's missing limbs uh, or whatever, lost his sense of smell. Who knows what was missing out of his life. But something took place in that guy's life in that moment where he all of a sudden goes goes oh my gosh, I'm healed, and he begins praising God with a loud voice. It's like there's this level of, of like violence, one commentator suggested, in, in what he's doing. He's just, go, he's just yelling, Jesus, I can't believe it. I can't believe you've forgiven me. I can't believe it. That's one guy out of 10. That's one guy out of 10. He, he begins praising God with a loud voice. And not just that, but he falls down at the feet of Jesus 
And he gives him thanks. Now, listen. There's many people who come to Jesus and they have a sordid past. And they'd get up here and they'd give their testimony and they'd be like, yeah, he really needed Jesus. And those people are very obviously, they've been very obviously sick. They've been very obviously in a bad way. And they find themselves in this, this place where they just go, I would have been nothing if I didn't have that. But there was nine who didn't do anything. There was nine who never turned back and said thanks. And I think we got a church full of the nine and not the one. I'm not criticizing just our church. I'm saying the American church. Because there's, there's not a realization of how messed up I am without God. There's not a realization of my need for him. There's not a realization that I have to have him in my life. There's not a realization of that. And so what doesn't happen as a result is worship. What doesn't happen as a result is praise. What doesn't happen as a result is obedience. See, obedience when acted on brings healing. Jesus, one of my theology professors, said, I think he was talking about Genesis. And he summarizes Genesis in this way. I'm probably totally getting this wrong, but I love this phrase. He said, God's invitation in the book of Genesis is, will you let me heal you? Will you let me heal you? And I think that that's God's invitation to us this morning. Will you let me heal you? The healing is there for the taking. The healing is there for the taking. Do you remember the Israelites in the desert? They, they were being bitten by snakes. And God tells Moses to fashion up this pole that's got a snake wrapped around it. It just seems obedience in that, in that, in that, in that sense just seems so dumb. You want me to make something that's going to have a snake wrapped around it on a pole and everybody who looks at it is going to be, is, is gonna be, be saved? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. And God, and God says, yeah, that's what I want you to do. And Moses, being a leader, is just like, okay, God, I'll do it. He's got faith, and he's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And everyone who looks to that will be saved. And that's Jesus' invitation to you. Will you let me heal you? And he's saying, will you look to the cross? Will you look to the cross so that you can be healed? For the man with leprosy, or for all of those men, but especially for that one, the invitation was, go show yourself to the priest. Obedience didn't make sense in that moment, but he said, okay, I'll do it. I'll start taking those steps. And God's invitation to you this morning is to take steps of obedience that do not make sense so that you can be healed. We talk lots and lots about sin, habitual sin, that just goes on and on and on and on. And Jesus is saying, the invitation to you is to begin taking steps of obedience. The, the, the invitation to me is to take steps of obedience. The invitation is all the time to all Christians everywhere to take steps of obedience. And he's inviting you this morning, if you're not a Christian, to be healed. To be healed in this way. To obey even though it doesn't make sense. 
I could never become a Christian because they believe things. If they really followed the Bible, then that would mean that same-sex relationships are off the table, that I couldn't have sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, that, I, uh, that, that gender is, is gender, that uh, the, the gender that I have at, at birth is my gender, and it is for everyone else. I, I, I would really like to become a Christian, but I just, I can't get on board with the idea that someone else could confront me, that someone else could call me out on this. And that all that's saying is it's saying you want to be your own master, but you, you have to ask the question, like, is that working for you? Is that working for your life? As, like, how, how is that working for you? Let's just pull a Dr. Fillier. Let's just go all the way here. How is that working for you? Because God's grace in your life is that your life would fall apart as you get more in control of your life. As you continually take on control of your life, God's invitation to you is this. That you would give up your rights. That you would say, I'm an unworthy servant. And I've only done what was expected of me. And I'll obey even when it doesn't make sense. And begin taking steps of obedience. Because what makes us all the better is that Jesus took on perfect obedience for your disobedience. Jesus took on all of the stuff that you have done, all of the wrong stuff that you have taken part in. He lived perfectly for you. And then he went to the cross for you. He went to the cross to say this, but you don't even have to take the first step of obedience, really. Jesus is saying, I've already given you the grace that you need. I've already given you what, you what you need to even make that decision. I've already, it's already there. It's not if you obey, then this takes place. It's that I'm, I've given you the grace to be able to be saved. And his invitation to you is not do, 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 do. His invitation is live in the grace that I give you. Live in the midst of this. I, I want to heal you. He wants to see your absolute healing. He wants you to, to sense his incredible grace and his mercy. He wants you to know that he went to the cross for you. He wants you to experience complete healing because he went to the cross. He proves it there. And then I would just say this. Can we get away from being a church that's just benign or that thanks, and just down the road, could we not be a church that falls on our face before the master who's been merciful to us? Could we not be people like that who, who, are, who are yelling out with a loud voice, like, I can't believe you healed me. Like what kind, of, what kind of humility does that bring to our culture? Or say, you could say I'm a bigot, you could say that I'm a racist, you could say all those things, 
But I live in obedience to God and I pray that my humility that I bring into the workplace, that I bring into my family that opposes me, that I bring into my marriage that's not going well, the humility that I bring into this place is unmistakable because I live under the direction and leadership of my master, Jesus Christ. And I fall down and I worship this God with everything that is in me. Can't we just have a church full of people who are the one? Can't we be those people? But some of us, we think, I don't have that much going on. I like, I just, I didn't have that much to be forgiven of. And, and Jesus says, you might be sick just on the inside, but it is terminal. It is terminal. You can't keep going like this. Jesus' invitation is, will you let me heal you? And will you respond with, I'm doing okay. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants everything. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus says, didn't I heal 10? Where's everyone else? Was no one found to return and praise God except this foreigner? And I don't know what this means for those nine. Were they saved? I don't think they were. There's a lot of people in our churches today that aren't saved. And Jesus says, yeah, I healed these guys physically, but they have not been healed spiritually. But the dude that comes back, the dude that comes back and says, and recognizes you are God. He says, your faith has made you well. Do you want to worship with passion? Do you want to worship with passion? Recognize him as God, as the only one that can heal you of your sin and receive him as Savior. That's what he created you for. Now I feel like I'm being played off the stage at the Grammys or whatever it is, but uh, which is a nice feature. It's kind of soothing, isn't it? We're going. We're going to go into communion here. Uh, so as the ushers come forward, um, I want to invite you just to to stand up and grab communion here. So as I'm sitting here and I, as I'm thinking about, I think about my my sermons and what I say. I just go, man. Do I have that? Do I have that level of, of passion? Am I falling at Jesus' feet? I can tell you there's a lot of moments where I don't feel that way. And I bet you I'm not the only one. So I wonder if there's a lot of guilt going on in this room. I, I haven't been one of those. Let's go to the Lord's table with that. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, you went to the cross to forgive us for not caring, for, not, for thinking that, that we're better than we are. Lord Jesus, you went and you paid it all. We owe you everything. And so, Lord, this morning we confess 
our dead hearts. We confess the fact that we have been far away from you. We confess that we have been a church that's a lot like the nine and not the one. And so, Lord, we're, we're sorry. We repent. Lord, bring to mind right now in my mind, in our minds, areas of, of repentance that we need to bring, that, that you want to bring to our lives. There's this wrong attitude, this wrong thought, this wrong action. Lord, thank you for bringing that to our attention. And Jesus is inviting you this morning to this. He says, by my wounds, I have healed you. I was wounded so that you could be healed. I gave it all for you. I left it all out on the field. I gave everything. I gave my body and it was broken for you. I want you to eat it so that you remember that I gave it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just partake of the body. And my blood was given for you. There was nothing left. It was all for you. For my glory. Do this in remembrance of me. We thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We pray that you would change us with the reality of knowing that we are truly broken and sick people and that you can make us whole and healthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.